Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our gospel narrative. This is Gospels Part 56. Last week we saw where Jesus and his disciples were leaving the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and they were crossing over the Sea of Galilee once again. Lots of turbulence and waves amongst the boat whenever the disciples were trying to reach their destination. Jesus was not with them. And then we get all of these allusions and hints back to the first Messiah, Moses, with um, passing by the disciples in the same way that God passed by Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And then Peter, in his boldness, wants to sort of test God's provision through Jesus and asking him to come out to him on the water, and then we started wrestling with, was it Peter actually doubting Jesus, or was he doubting his own ability to be this bold, faithful Talmud, this disciple of God in his narrative? Um, And then we left there, them getting to their destination, and then the crowds still struggling with maybe the physical provision of what Jesus was doing with the the loaves and the fish and not the deeper spiritual eternal implications behind what those miracles mean about the kingdom. And now we're going to continue that with some pretty spicy stuff in John 6. (laughs) All we had to say is it was John, and everybody knows it's going to be spicy, right? Yeah. Yeah, the funny thing is about these people... um, you know, they were showing some signs, like they were kind of getting it, you know, they they understood that there was something that they were being asked to do, and they wanted to know what it was, and he explained, hey, you just got to believe in the one who uh, God sent. And of course, we talked a lot about what believe actually means, and so they, they've heard that, and now we're going to pick up at John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 30 to 34, and see where this story goes. Ready? Oh, yeah. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Oh my gosh, that's not even that much, and there's like a bazillion things in there. These people want the Olive Garden unlimited soup, salad, (laughs) and breadsticks. That's right, yeah. So, all right, so we had the crowd that we thought, hey, maybe they're doing pretty good, maybe they're picking up on some things, you know, the food that endures and the working for it and all that. And yet, here they are, 
they still seem to be more focused on what they can get. Now remember, at least some of these people, but you know, we're thinking that a good part of this crowd, these were the people that were fed with the loaves and the fishes last night in terms of the story. So this same crowd then asks, okay, 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 we get it. We're supposed to believe in you, and we're willing to believe in you. But what sign can you do so that we can believe? And all I can picture is Jesus doing the face palm, right? <laughs> or the Homer Simpson equivalent of, oh. That's right. That's right. So you could, uh, you know, you can almost hear Jesus saying, geez, really? You've just seen me in action and yet do not believe. And that actually was kind of funny if you knew what was coming up in verse 36. Maybe you'll laugh later. But anyway, as if this wasn't enough, they come up with their own idea of what sign he could do <laughs> to convince them. Pretty, pretty, pretty good thinking on their part, right? And so they say, hey, make some more bread. In fact, you could do what Moses did and provide bread from heaven every day. <laughs> yeah, do that. That would be great. Well, Jesus, I mean, obviously, we know he's seeing through all of this stuff. Uh, the first thing that he chooses to do is correct them. He says that it was not Moses who gave them the bread. Now, well, number one, he's letting them know that it was God. But to be fair, Samuel, do you think that they knew that? I, I mean, obviously they had to have. Yeah. Nobody thought that the power was coming from Moses or originating with Moses. They just knew that he was his guy. And so when they talked about things, they said Moses did this, right? So... That's not the thing. But Jesus is saying this because he wants to frame some thinking here for his overall point. And now part of it is you, you can read, I should say, if, if you want to read about the manna and all this stuff, you could go back to Exodus 16. That's more of the, I guess, the original story. You can actually read some more about it, maybe some less happy kind of information about it in Numbers 11, whatever. But when he says, hey, Moses didn't really give you the bread from heaven, you think that what he's going to say is, my father gave you that bread. But he doesn't. He changes it up and he says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So you kind of put those two together and it's like, okay, so what Jesus is saying is, okay, number one, God is the one that gave the bread from heaven, the manna, but God also gives true bread from heaven. And of course, we've got to try to understand, well, what is this true bread? But let's, let's, there's a point being made here that I don't want to miss, and I know I've emphasized it before, but I'm going to keep doing it so that it comes across. Where did the manna come from, heaven? Uh, <laughs> I just renamed I'm, you, Samuel. I'm heaven. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Where did the manna come from, Samuel? I mean, it came from God. He provided it from, it fell from the heavens to the earth. Exactly. Yeah. So, so we could look at that and we could say, hey, it descended from heaven. And then 
Okay, remember, we're in the book of John now. What else descended from heaven that's really important in all of our, the reason we're even doing a podcast, Samuel? John Uh, chapter one. The word. The word. Became flesh and tabernacled, dwelt among us. Exactly, yeah. So the manna descends from heaven, the word descends from heaven, and remember the word, that's like the divine part of Jesus, and we've talked about, yeah, maybe he self-limits that or whatever, but it's still a real thing. But there's a really interesting connection here between the manna and the word. So Samuel, I'd like you to read for us Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yeah. Now, you may think I'm crazy or not. I don't, given enough time, I don't think you will, but think about what's being said in this verse. It's like, look, he gave you the manna, but why? He gave it to you so that you would understand that real life comes by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Real life comes by the word. He gave you manna to teach you. Life comes through the word. So it's like, this is, this is what's going on in John chapter 6 right now. We, we're seeing in that text from Deuteronomy, it's like an equating of the manna with the word. And of course, if we go back to John chapter 1, we know that the Word was being equated with Torah along with other things. And so, John, he's a master. He's connecting us back to the beginning of his gospel, and actually, our whole podcast, Gospels, episode number one, right? Before Jesus continues, I mean, you got to know, the people standing around there inside their brains, they're just going crazy. Well, what is this true bread. But anyway, you can see the connecting points. And now, it's interesting. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down. So, all right, what is this true bread? Well, it's he who comes down. Thankfully, Jesus is providing the answer. I only wish, and it doesn't matter what I wish, but I'm just going to say it. I wish the text had inserted the word true right there. So it read, for the bread, for the true bread of God is he who comes down. Because that's really what it, what it is being said, and it would have made it, I think, much more powerful. But whatever. The true bread of God is the Messiah, and there's two important things to note about Jesus's description here. Number one, he comes down from heaven. This is super important. And number two, he gives life to the world. That's, that's right here. So it's all set up. Now, John is going to weave these into the story that follows. And in fact, most people would never guess this. I didn't until I actually heard somebody else say it and I went and counted them. The idea of descending, it appears seven times in chapter six of John's gospel. Do you think? Makes me feel like there's a chiasm in there, too. 
well, maybe, but for sure, he's trying to get a point across. Mm -hmm. He wants us to see that descending is a really important part of this story. And it's, oh, later it's going to be so important. But anyway, now then, what's funny is they end this whole thing up, uh, Jesus says all these things, and the crowd says, sir, give us this bread always. Samuel, please tell me, you remember, what does that remind you of? Um... Let's see, I know that there was the conversation he had with the woman at the well with yes. like the true living water, and she's like, I will just let me get, get some of that water so I don't ever have to thirst again. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly the same kind of response that he got from the woman at, at the well. That was back in John four fifteen. Uh, Samuel, why don't you just read that one line so we can just hear it? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Yeah, there you go. So in both stories, the, you know, audience, if we could call it that, seem to be very interested. They are hungry or they are thirsty, but they also seem to get a little stuck on the physical. They're very real needs. And just like with the woman at the well, Jesus isn't done trying to help them understand something bigger, the bigger picture, and an even more real need. So are you implying through this section that this idea of the quote, the true bread of God, would be a new concept for these Jewish ears who were listening to Jesus, or... Is this another instance where Jesus is trying to reframe their understanding of what true bread actually is? I'm just trying to contextualize, like, would this have come across as totally foreign to them, or was he trying to build some momentum of some seeds that they had already had planted from the Hebrew Scriptures previously? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think... Unlike the parables, which we made a big deal out of, he was really trying to help them understand. I think, thinking back to the woman at the well, the story about living water, I think that was hard for them to to kind of figure out what was really going on. In hindsight, I think the disciples are totally getting it, so it's good for us. Uh, but in the moment, were these people understanding this thing about true bread? I don't know. I, I think that this was a difficult one for them. Mm-hmm. I really do. And of course, as we continue in the story, it's going to get super difficult, but, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. I feel like my brain is making it up, but I feel like there's something in the Midrash or the Talmud that the rabbis said the bread of life is Torah, which I know that you hinted at that mm. in this yeah. part, but um, that that seems to be continuing Jesus' theme here, I mean, at least yeah. ultimately within himself. Yeah, well, for sure, any... Any general ideas like, you know, when you're talking about life or eternal life or, or those kind of things, I for sure, what you mentioned, I think they would definitely understand Torah related to that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a really good question. Let's, how about we just read on and see how they do? All right. <laughs> I think it's going to be rough, but let's keep going. So John chapter six, we're going to continue now. Verses 35 through 40 says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that every one who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Whew. Does it feel like it's getting a little harder to just get a good grip on all of this? Getting a little... Yes and no. There was definitely some mysterious aspects that I was listening to, and there's also some comforting parts, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that John. uh, We're we're knee-deep. Maybe (laughs) chin-deep. I'm not sure. In John. So here we go. This is rough. So he starts out, I am the bread of life. Uh, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, okay. This is some pretty awesome bread. Apparently, it satisfies both hunger and thirst. Nah, being silly. Uh, uh, Obviously, it's the bread satisfies the hunger, the believing satisfies the thirst, right? But the point is that the bread of life, this bread of life that he's talking about, himself, Messiah, it's the source for everything required for living even living eternally. And so, it's another call back to the conversation with the woman at the well. Same kind of story that was going on there. Also, I don't know if you caught that, uh, he says, I am the bread of life. This is another one of uh, Jesus's I am statements that are scattered throughout John's gospel. We've talked about that before. There's a number of them. People argue about the number, but whatever. And then one final thing, I... As I read, try to study, figure out some things, I find a lot of people who are looking at this story, Jesus talking about being the bread of life, and they're trying to make connections to, I don't know, the Last Supper or communion, you know, whatever. Look, maybe we can find connections there or whatever in hindsight, but but definitely, at least from the perspective of, hey, what were these people hearing? What was Jesus saying? What was all going on here? It's, I don't think there's any sort of connection. It's just not in view here. Nobody would have any way of understanding what that was talking about. The, the whole picture is just kind of, it's just out of place. So we can kind of forget that. And especially, remember, this is in the Gospel of John. And if we look at John's telling of the Last Supper, he doesn't even say anything about the cup and the bread. So I think that's just too much of a, of a stretch. And so let's kind of drop that as we go. Uh, But anyway, uh, what else does he say? Oh, whoever comes to me. Okay. Samuel, have you ever heard of the concept of free will? I believe I have, yeah. Okay. And do you believe that this is something that we have, had, still have, will have, all that? Do, Do you believe we have it? I am in my free will choosing to say yes. <laughs> Good try. 
Okay, so here's the thing, and this leads to the question, what exactly is it that we are free to do? I mean, can I just do anything I want? Is that what free will means? I'm going to argue no. I'm going to I'm going to make this super 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 simple. What we are free to do is one of two things. You can either choose to submit to God's will or choose your own. It is the story of the garden. The whole idea of free will isn't about the fact that, well, yeah, I could choose to do this, even though it's disobedient to God. I mean, yeah, that's like a byproduct of it. But the simple story is you're either submitted to his will or you are not. That is the essence of free will. So if you're choosing his will over your own, here's the crazy thing. That will satisfy your every hunger. It's not intuitive, but it's true. And, and, and we need to see that. It's only in choosing his will over our own, which sounds like we're giving up our free will, but it's not because free will is choosing his will or your own. So, but that's where it satisfies every hunger. And then it says, Whoever believes in me, uh, let's see if I can find that. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever believes in me. So after the choosing, after the saying, you know what? I am going to choose his will over my own. I may not be perfect at it, but that is my direction. That is my choice. That's what I'm doing. So after that choosing, there's our, our walk of faith. And we've said it a hundred times, faith plus faithfulness. That's what believing is. And in a very similar and unintuitive way, living a life according to his will instead of your own, well, it's also going to satisfy your every thirst. So your every hunger, your every thirst, it's all satisfied in giving up your own will and following his instead. It's like food for your soul. It's like water for your soul. Now, can I push back on this just a bit for just a moment? Push away. So I'm totally hearing what you're saying about choosing his will of your own is going to satisfy your every hunger. Choosing his will of your own is going to satisfy your every thirst. I guess where does that leave room for that aspect of feeling that tension or that wrestling with that internal battle that comes with you know having that option to choose his will or your own and like it almost sometimes can feel painful I mean you we said it in the past that to be a follower of Jesus is an extremely high calling and though there's a part of us within our human side our flesh that wants to experience retaliation or revenge or desires of the flesh or whatever whenever mm-hmm. whenever we're choosing against that i mean there there is some element of like like i know that this is better for me but in the moment like it doesn't feel that way so like is there some aspect of like uh prolonged satisfaction of hunger and thirst knowing that like 
and even in the present moment when we're saying yes, if we're not, we're not experiencing that satiation now, like in the kingdom and the world to come, that's where true satiation with our hunger and thirst spiritually is going to be experienced within us. I don't know. I don't know if you understand what I'm wrestling with right now. Yeah, I think that I do. Ultimately, we know this is all new covenant, world to come stuff. We know that we will be completely in tune with his will because it will be written on our minds and hearts. But but what you're asking is, yeah, but what about now? You're saying that if I if I submit to his will, I'll be satisfied. All of my hunger and all of my thirst will be satisfied in him. But I know as a person who's living and trying to do this stuff that I still choose bad things, wrong things, whatever, because apparently I'm not satisfied with that. And all I can say is what we are doing now in attempting to experience the kingdom, seeking the kingdom, whatever, we are trying to get a taste of that ultimate goal. And if somehow in saying that, hey, the the crazy unintuitive thing is that if you submit to his will, every hunger will be satisfied, every thirst will be satisfied. Um, if I made that sound as if, oh yeah, today's Tuesday, and I made that decision, and so from Wednesday on, I don't have any more trouble. Okay, definitely not true. If I made it sound like choosing his will over our own will is somehow easy, no possible way. I mean, this, and what you said, it's a high calling. This is hard. It's really hard. But through persistent walking, studying, learning, doing the things that you learn, through that, yeah, you are going to become more and more in tune with his will, and with that, you will become more and more satisfied. And so, sure, is it possible that you could get to a point where you, you uh, I don't know, even experience no hunger or thirst outside of God? I think it's fully possible. Is it going to happen for me? I don't know. I hope I'm I'm aiming for it. I don't know. But it is going to get better the the more I try, the more I live in his will. And again, why am I doing that? Not because it buys me anything. I can't earn my salvation or make salvation happen. It is my reasonable service, my response to what he has done to me. But anyway, is that kind of answering the question? I think it's getting to the point i guess i'm just thinking about in a particular like present moment whenever i'm choosing god's will even though it's particularly hard and even if in that moment you don't experience the fruits of obedience in the situation or within yourself or someone else like like for example like today it's not instant yeah i know i know i'm just saying like it if you read the text a certain way, it's like if you do this, then you then you will yes. experience hunger, uh, no hunger, no thirst. But like today, like I was trying to be patient with coworkers, and it was really hard and really frustrating. <laughs> and, and in the moment, I'm like, like I don't feel super quenched right now. Right, right, yeah. It's a lot like if if you believe it, like this whole story, all of this. What's it supposed to lead to, Samuel? Eternal life. And yet, unless Jesus comes back, we're all going to die. 
So, yeah, it, it's the same kind of thing. It, and, and it's good to point that out. No, these things, they're not formulaic. They're not mechanical. Nothing is instant. It's like, oh, if I just believe hard enough, I'll be healed. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I, right? It, it, we've, we, this whole, everything that we've seen so far is like this. It's like, look, the conclusion is sure. It's absolute. There's nothing we can do to stop the ultimate conclusion because God's in charge of all that. But what about the immediate results? This moment, that moment, whatever. You know what? Those are a little more up in the air. And that's part of living in a world that is marred by sin. Even, Even though you may do something right or everything right, you're still going to experience the consequences of sin going on all around you. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just not instant. It's a, it's a, it's a principle. You live this way. This is the ultimate result. You may or may not experience it in any given individual circumstance or moment or situation, but ultimately, the result is sure. Mm. that any better yeah i like that last statement you uh you nailed it right there all right if i was babe ruth i would have pointed to where that was going before i took a swing but i'm not that guy all right (laughs) let's see what else did he say in here Oh, oh there was this one part he says but i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe the thing is, he never said that. But, you know, whatever. That's why I made that joke earlier. The question would be, well, didn't believe what? Did they not believe, you know, the, the actual sign that he performed? Did they, did they not believe he was Messiah? Did they not believe, you know, maybe like the, the, the overall kingdom message? Did, did they just, maybe it wasn't about that initial belief. Was it just that they, they weren't responding in repentance and faithfulness and that kind of thing? I don't, I don't specifically know the answer, except that, okay, yeah, it's probably all of that, and maybe some more that I didn't think of. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting, but I said to you, uh, and then what else? Oh, okay. Boy, all that the Father gives me. See, Jesus understands a, a basic fundamental truth, and that is that All things come from God. And I don't know if you remember, Jesus had that big throwdown with some religious leaders, and he was talking about how he was submitted to God and didn't consider himself equal, and, you know, he understood that everything came from God. It was a big deal. What this is not saying, when it says, all that the Father gives me, okay, this is not saying that God has predestined some individuals and not others so that across time, these certain special chosen individuals are going to somehow find Jesus. It's just not saying that. What it is saying is that regarding all those who do find Jesus, seek him with their whole heart, whatever you want to say, Of all those, Jesus considers them to be a gift from the Father. Now, we can talk about all of the different ways that God may 
influence or participate or encourage or draw or call or awaken, whatever word you want to put in there. But those things are not, we shouldn't perceive that as some sort of force or or a foregone conclusion. Uh, And again, this goes back to the entirety of the Bible. The the big story that we're uh, involved in, it it revolves around choice, free will. So all that the Father gives me, this is Jesus. He's considering everything from God to be a gift, everything that he has, no matter how it comes. That's kind of a big deal. I'm betting some people's toes are hurting right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he goes on. uh, How about those who will come to me or whoever comes to me? Uh, Now, these are the same people that we started out with in verse 35. These are the ones who choose God and his Messiah. They choose, uh, you've probably heard this phrase, the way. But I want you to read something for us, Samuel. It comes out of Isaiah. It's in chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. I think this is going to, to offer an interesting additional image for us. Go ahead. Come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food, and incline your ear And come to me, hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Number one, uh, what's this crazy talk? Hey, got no money? Come on over here and buy some food. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? That doesn't make any sense. But listen, listen, uh, he's talking about... Now, come by and eat, even if you don't have anything, just come by and eat. Why, listen to this, why are you spending your money for that which is not bread? Or I might insert true bread. Why are you spending your labor for that which does not satisfy? Right? This is exactly what Jesus has been talking about. This is directly connected. But then he goes on, instead of doing that wrong thing, Listen to what he wants you to do. Listen diligently to me. Well, what does that do? Well, then you can eat what is good. You can delight yourselves in rich food. Well, what else should I do? Incline your ear. Come to me and hear. Well, why? So that your soul may live and I'll make an everlasting covenant. This is exactly the message that we're saying over and over on this podcast. Jesus is saying it here through John in John's gospel. This is what comes from Isaiah. All of these things are saying the same thing. But notice the ones in Isaiah, the ones who are called to come, are the same ones that are told to listen and to hear and to obey. And they are the ones who will participate in the new covenant. So, that that's what this verse, these verses in John are talking about. And then here's another one. Oh boy, more toes. Let's step on them. 
He says this little bit about, I will never cast out. All right, here I go, Samuel. What this is not saying is that you are once saved, always saved. That is not what this means. The Greek word here, where it says, I will never cast out, doesn't even mean never. It's just a negative. It means not. It it, it would be better if it just said, I will not cast out. Not never, just not. So what this is saying, Jesus is trying to get across this idea. He's saying that Jesus's role as this bread of life or this true bread, it's open to all men. He will not discriminate. It's not like you could somehow choose him only to have him come back and say, uh, oops, <laughs> this is not for you. That's not, he will never cast out. He will not cast out. He is for all who choose and are faithful. If we were to turn it around in modern English, we might say something like, hey, Anybody who really chooses and is faithful to me, I'm not going to turn you away. Everyone is welcome, Jew, Gentile, whatever. So there you go. That's all I'm going to say because there you go. That's what it says. And now, oh, here it is again. Descending from heaven. He says, I have come down from heaven. We've said it before. It's a very provocative statement because, okay, the underlying understanding for all the people of this time, this place, they had this idea that it was only God who comes down from heaven. Now, now that doesn't mean, you know, that somehow angels didn't or what. No, it's not saying that. It's the emphasis is on the fact that there is a divide between creation and outside of creation. God and his creatures, if we could say it that way. The point is, we cannot go up, and that it is instead he who must come down. And he comes down for many reasons. He's he's intervening in some way. Maybe it's for judgment or revelation or redemption. And, you know, traditionally in Judaism, what are they thinking of? Well, they're thinking about times like the Tower of Babel or Sodom and Gomorrah or what happened at Sinai. And of course, we, in hindsight, can look back and go, well, okay, Messiah, God came down. So it's, it's emphasizing this idea that God originates in heaven. And this is in opposition to the idea that man originates here in creation. But Jesus is saying, I came down from heaven. Super important. Yeah. And that's that whole idea of the word. Go ahead, Ed. That's a big, I'm just going to say that's a big statement. Yeah. Oh, it is. And it's, we're not done talking about it because John's not done writing about it. So what else does he say in here? Oh, there's so much. Oh, not my own will. Oh, so Jesus didn't come to do his own will, but the will of his father, right? Jesus states, basically, this, this is his mission. And who gets missions? Apostles. We've talked about that. But just as it's an, a mission for Jesus, it's also like uh, for us, it's, at, at the very least, it's an example. It's a goal, something. And it is the answer for the problem 
of what's the only true problem in this whole giant big story, Samuel? Uh, sin and death. Yes. The only real problem is death caused by sin. The an- this is the answer for the problem of death. In Jesus, it's, it, it's, it's the answer for life. That didn't come out right. In Jesus' life, in his incarnation, the fact that he came and lived and did what he did, okay, that is the answer for life. It's also the answer for us, our daily lives. It's how we take advantage of the offer of eternal life. And, I mean, in some sense, we could go back uh, John chapter 5, and that was, again, that's part where Jesus is talking over and over about his submissive authority, right? He got a lot of things from the Father, but everything is submitted to him. But it, it, you know, Sam, you know that if we're just talking in general terms, Christians in America, the basic idea, it's a very simple equation. If you believe, and they would say it, you get to go to heaven. So, so this idea of belief is equivalent to a ticket to get in. So, I mean, they're, they're always quick to say, you can't do anything, but then, you know, belief is a ticket to get in. In all of these things that we're talking about, all we're trying to do is expose, I'm going to call it the true cost of that ticket. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. True belief actually costs you something. It's not just faith, it's faith and faithfulness. Anyway, Jesus come not to do his own will. This is the example and goal for us. He's come to do the will of him who sent him. Uh, He said, sent me, whatever. So this is what Jesus came to do. And if you'll notice, let's see, you've got two, two verses here. One says, this is the will of him who sent me, verse 39. And verse 40 says, this is the will of my father. And lest we think he's being repetitive or redundant, this is the will of him who sent me. It kind of sounds impersonal. It feels like he's talking about, I don't know, objects or things more than people. And remember, Jesus' work will be the redemption or salvation of all creation. And in a sense, the, the earth itself is going to be resurrected, if I could say it that way, in a manner similar to what we expect for ourselves. And so God's will is to restore or fix all of creation. And I, if that's all this said, that would kind of maybe even be anticlimactic. Even maybe it would fill out a place. But he did add the following verse, and it's not redundant. So let's take a look at that, that this is the will of my father, Now, again, this is what Jesus came to do, but notice how my father, it's starting to sound so much more personal this time. The first time it was, I'll lose nothing and I'll raise it up. The second time it's, hey, if you believe, I will raise him up, right? Everyone who believes. So it's much more personal. Uh, Let's see. Uh, God's will is that none who actually choose and that would be the phrase, look on the sun. None that are faithful, that would be those who believe in him, that none would be lost. And we just talked about that. Lost how? What would they be lost to, Samuel? Uh, They're lost to sin and death. Yes, that's right. 
And he doesn't want anyone to be lost to death. He wants them to have eternal life. And, and so, these people, the ones who choose and are faithful, they will instead be raised to life. And it's important to note, he's not describing everyone. This isn't for everyone. It's only for those who look on him and believe, those who choose and are faithful. So, God's method of fixing the world is to, in some sense, resurrect the whole universe, all of creation. And to resurrect, and I'm just going to say it, the worthy humans to live eternally guided by the Torah written on our hearts and minds. Now, when we say worthy humans, what are we talking about? Those who choose and are faithful. The whole thing we're talking about here. And this is the very essence of the new covenant. The worthy humans, if we could say it that way, are those who are already cooperating with the Spirit to get the Torah into or onto their hearts and their minds. Am I painting that clear enough, Samuel? I know I'm going against the the grain, going against the the current, but is, is it at least clear? Well, I do know that after, well, you and I individually over the past, let's see, three years and then over the past year of going through the Gospels with this new messianic and jewish focused lens that this section did not have the same theological bent to me that it did in seasons of life in years past uh, that had so much baggage with it that took away from what jesus maybe was originally trying to convey to the audience and to us like years later so yeah. I, I I hope that fellow listeners who are who have been following along with us and also have had a year's worth of practice to put in the work of teaching this new narrative to yourself that you also are experiencing maybe a little bit of alleviation from this theological heaviness that this chapter seems to get within the evangelical church so often. Um, and I did want to say all the just one specific note on a couple of these verses verse 39 and 40 you were saying how 39 feels more impersonal than 40 does while you were reading through that the first time it almost feels like 39 is like a thesis statement like in a general sense and that 40 is like this the specifics or the details of how that's going to happen like 39 feels like especially that I lose nothing of all that he has given me. Well, if I think to the end of the story, all authority has been given to Jesus. So in some sense, like God slash Jesus's desire for like the narrative is that he, they want all of humanity to not be lost. And they, he, they want all of humanity to be raised up in the last day. But sadly, like not everyone is going to choose that. And in verse 40, like those, who look yeah. on the sun and believe those are the ones who are actually going to get to experience eternal life and be resurrected on the last day. So I don't know if that adds to those two verses, but they, it does on, on my mind. Yeah, I like that. That's a really good way to look at that. I like that a lot. See, the, the, the thing that uh, as I was studying for this and, and trying to get all this out, it's like on one hand, there's a struggle with trying to say things in a way that is 
clear. Now, I get it. Not everybody's going to agree with everybody all the time. So there may be people that disagree with what I say, but it's important that whatever it is I'm trying to say is actually coming across. Then there's the other side of it where you absolutely know I just was poking with my sword at (laughs) some really cherished uh, theologies, doctrines, whatever you want to call them, that it could upset some people. But it's so important as we're reading through, it, it could be that these things that it sounds like I'm tearing down, well, maybe they do still have merit. Maybe they still do, do still have value, but these aren't the verses that actually prove that or state that. Now, it could also be that those ideas have been just sort of invented out of thin air, right? And, and you're not going to find them anywhere in your Bible. I'm not trying to make grand statements. I'm trying to say, this is what this text is talking about right here. So if you think that it's talking about this, it's not. That's not in view here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that I've completely kicked everything to the curb. And so, again, trying to go through this, it's just, it's such a difficulty and I don't know, trying to find that balance just i don't know but we gotta we gotta say this stuff we gotta say it out loud and we can't be shy because otherwise people won't know but you gotta Mm -hmm. get it done and i think that having this section that we just got done going through and speaking on the things that we have is a really good primer um, for those who are beginning to wrestle with this new concept because the next section that we're going to go into I would argue it is even harder than what has already been discussed thus far. I know, particularly with myself, the next section, I I had one of many crises of faith with uh, <laughs> with the verses that are to come directly after this. So yeah, if you haven't buckled up yet, you need to now. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, we're not going to have time to fit that in. This is actually going to end up being a shorter episode because there's no way we can get this next section in and do it any justice. Uh, So it's, I mean, it's not really a cliffhanger. And in a way, it's very good because this may be, and hey, there's something we don't say ever, but this may be one of those episodes where if it isn't something that makes sense to you already, or especially if you feel like it's Gee, that's kind of grinding against what I think I already know. Maybe you want to listen again. Maybe you want to try to figure out what it is we're talking about because you're just not going to be able to make good sense out of the rest of John chapter 6 or a bunch of other things that are going to come up in the Gospels. If, you, if you're seeing this differently, this, this, is, this is really going to help you. So, Yeah, and this is another plug for everyone to access the okie dokie notes um, that's right for each of the episodes like we we cannot stress enough and props to paul for putting in so many man hours like i mean he personally created each of these documents that have all four of the gospels side by side and then his um commentary notes his interpolations of the text like in between each chunk of section and if it feels very scattered, if you're listening to it without the notes, like perfect opportunity to go back and sit down with your computer, your phone. I mean, all you have to do is just click on the description for our episode. 
there's a link to the PDF. And then I, I really think that that could benefit those who might be struggling with. So just yeah. check out the okie dokie notes. It's a, it's a free resource for you. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that I create them and, and offer them the way that we do is because if I was listening to a podcast that was anything like our podcast, that's what I would want. So, you know, somebody may want something more or different or whatever, but at least, you know, that's why we do it. And yeah, I agree, Samuel. I think it, <laughs> it would be really helpful always, but especially times yeah. like these. Yeah. So it's a slight shameless plug, but I, I don't think I've ever experienced another podcast that has this level of depth in terms of textual resources right at your disposal. So snatch it up while you can. <laughs> that was so shameless. I love it. All right. Uh, seriously, though, I think uh, since we can't fit any more in, we may as well let people go so we're not wasting their time. And boy, be ready for the next one because it's going to be good, too. Okie dokie. Oh! Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your podcast app to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Talk to you again soon.